Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. Just say no to family values. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic. I'm one of your co-hosts today, Pamela Bentley. And I'm your other co-host, Kevin Spence. And in the studio live this afternoon, we have Matea Coolidge. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, we were saying when before we went on air that you and I have never met. We don't know anything about each other. Well, that's right. So I'm going to get to hear your work for the first time. And... Uh, this is going to be, this is exciting. So we off, we always ask our guests to start off with a poem. Okay. So I actually brought uh, this little poem that, tiny little poem that kind of had a little adventure. It was picked up by Room Magazine. It's called A Precise Benefit. And then um, some months later, they actually asked me if I would be willing to have the poem anthologized in there. 40-year anthology, Making Room. So I know the listeners can't see, but it's a wonderful anthology, and I was just so honored to be included with a a list of writers, some of which have been on the show, incidentally. Mm -hmm. Um, Very short poem, like six lines, and I was thinking maybe I'd even write, uh, read it a couple of times because it's sort of a sound poem, almost as like a vocal I love hearing short poems twice. Yeah, warm-ups. Okay, so here we go. Well... That's men for you. That's men for you. Well, that's men. That's men. That's well, men. Well, that's that's for you. That's that's for you. That's well. Well for you. Well, that's you. Well, that's men for you. That's men for you. Well, that's men. That's men. That's well, men. Well, that's that's for you. That's that's for you. That's well, well for you. Well, that's you. Cool. That was great. <laughs> so you just got in under the deadline because you said it was only a few months before they started putting the anthology together that your piece was in there. So you squeaked in to the forty years. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in the section like the fourth generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's where? Cool. Where was the launch for that? The launch for this actually happened at the Emerald. Um, was it? No, the Fox Theater. Sorry, I get those two confused. The Fox, I do too. The Fox Theater on Main Street. Yeah, that was really fun. It was just a party and lots of, you know, feminists, writers, icons of mine in the room. And so I was kind of just like wide-eyed looking around and just, yeah, really honored to be part of it. Nice. Um, had you been, uh, was that the first time you were published anywhere or? Uh, no, no, I have been published before, um, and poetry is dead and different, yeah, different kind of work, which I mean, you'll get a bit of a flavor for today and getting to know me as a poet and a writer as I, I write, uh, essays and reviews and even some translations. So, uh, yeah, I had been published before, but it was just, uh, yeah, neat to be, um, included in this collection, this particular collection. 
Well, it's a really it's a really interesting poem, and uh, you know, I was going to say these days, but um, it never goes out of style. Mm. That's men for you. Mm-hmm. I think that's how it, it just. That's why I said it was such a funny little poem because I think I just had that refrain going on in my head after hearing someone say it and just kind of repeating it in my head and being like, "What does that even mean?" Do you hear it as a dismissive thing for somebody uh, explaining something that had happened to them, or do you hear it as um, just kind of a lighthearted joke, or or all of the all of those, or yeah, both, and maybe the the dismissive. And the joke are sort of similar, right? Mm-hmm. Like not, yeah, taking it. I, I wouldn't, I don't know. It would be strange to hear someone say, oh, that's women for you, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Although, I guess we, we do. do. Hear, but yeah, it's not the same. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think of that. Say that again? I think we say more like, <laughs> women. <laughs> Woman. <laughs> you know? And I, I appreciate the repetition of those words that really enforces an attention to intonation and tone and like what is in those words on the page, certainly when you read it, you make decisions and different kind of tones come out. But it's fascinating to consider what you've made on the page and the different ways that it can be performed and, mm. and sounded and all those different things that can be heard. Yeah, I was glad that you read it twice. Because mm. sometimes with short poems, I just want to, the first time I want to hear it, and then the second time I want to um, sort of understand it in a different way. But you reading it twice allowed what Kevin's talking about, which was really cool. Yeah. We're big fans of, of sound poetry. We had Bill Bissett, um, <laughs> a CD with yeah. Bill Bissett. On our last doing, Tickle Trunk yeah. show. Interruption, interrupted. Yeah, and we had our mics off during the playing, but um, we were all like kind of reacting to it and laughing and being delighted yeah. and amazed by it. Um, let's hear another one of your pieces so we can talk a little bit more about your work. Okay. Yeah, Bill Bissett is the best. <laughs> um, well, as we were sitting outside, Kevin was sort of asking me, you know, what are you up to these days or what are you writing these days? And I was catching him up and saying, well, mostly emails. I have become prolific in the email <laughs> genre um, as a arts cultural worker, as all arts cultural workers out there know. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, writing then is what I do on the bus, in the evenings, on the weekends, and sometimes, um, you know, there's frustration around a productivity or, you know, time to write. So these next two poems are a little bit about that. Poem for Nobody. I was down on my productivity and looked up some submission guidelines, imagining how a published poem might turn things around. I had no poems on the requisite themes. In fact, I had no poems and saw no open calls for these. This is how I was dashed quickly and preemptively by the process. Mm. Poem for writers. When I sat down to write this morning, I saw there were two urgent emails and a text just to say hello. I saw three promotional offers from companies I had never shopped with or signed up to hear from. A friend who I was supposed to see in the afternoon and is only in town for a few days called to ask if we could change our plans to the morning, now. My eldest sister, who I rarely hear from, suddenly reached out to me. I decided I would warm up a slice of pie even though I had already eaten a bowl of cereal and wasn't particularly hungry. 
My tea was cold, and I considered a fresh cup of coffee for which I first needed to grind beans. We were out of filters, and I wouldn't mind some yogurt with my pie, and the shop is only around the corner. With my coffee and pie, I sat back down at the table. The battery of my laptop had drained, so I moved over to the couch near the outlet, where it is quite comfortable. I was already in the reclined position and figured I would just close my eyes for a few seconds, allow the ideas to settle. I always have my best ideas right before bed, when no writing utensils are on hand, and I know whatever comes to me will not be written down. It's like an updated, um, I'm sorry I ate the plums. They were delicious, <laughs> right? But a more extended, uh, that's what I heard in that. So much depends on the unexpected text. <laughs> to to, to yeah. cop another Williams poem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that feeling. Um, what kind of arts administrator are you? Um, I work as uh, the managing editor at the Capilano Review. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of administrative work, just sort of uh, working with all the contracts and all the kind of publication schedules leading up to the publication of the issue and, uh, yeah, the communication aspect of mm -hmm. like a publication, grant and, writing. And, and do you do a lot of that work at home on the comfortable couch when the computer needs to be plugged in or at your table? <laughs> I can do some pie? work at home, which is good, but I do like to go to the office because there's just something about the product of, like, you know, what you get done at the office versus home. And did you, did you, uh, did you eat the pie before you fell <laughs> <laughs> This was around Christmas. There was, like, way too many treats uh -huh. hanging around. But I have to say my, the biggest, like, yeah, my biggest beef is with these subscription emails. I feel like things that, you know, every day that you wake up to your email and you're like, I don't even remember shopping with, like, who, how, how, what, who, how did these people get my email and how did this happen? I feel like I've even already unsubscribed from this like three times. <laughs> is this even legal? Yeah, like, I get really good at unsubscribing. <laughs> um, I wanted to say, like, I also wanted to ask, first of all, mm -hmm. did you reply to your sister and did you get to see your friend before they left town? Mm -hmm. I did, I did. But I think that morning I was really like, no, I've I've like um, you know, cordoned off this yes. this writing time and now there's you know, all these demands are coming up and I wanna answer and yes, of course I did see my sister. She was in town for a few days and I saw my friend but I was I sort of pushed back on those texts and said, I can't actually see you now. We said the afternoon, can we keep it to the afternoon? You know, whereas sometimes it is really easy to say, okay, well, this is just my writing time and I can move it around and I can be flexible to other people's needs. And I find it's hard to stay disciplined and, um, I don't know, strict around that yeah. time mm -hmm. for yourself mm -hmm. and your own writing practice. And you said you can work at home. Can you write poetry at work? Does the inverse ever happen? Yeah, I think if I'm like kind of relaxed and in a good mood and I don't know that, yeah, if it's not a demanding day and I've been working on something and it's mm -hmm. still kind of percolating, then for sure maybe like, mm -hmm. you know, I'll still be kind of writing notes. It just, yeah, it depends what sort of mind frame. I love that you're writing about that because there's lots of people who are in this situation. Mm -hmm. As writers and poets, we are doing those kind of jobs, right? Mm -hmm. We got to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in between our great bestsellers. And so, yeah, we do that kind of work. And uh, I actually think of emails as um, 
I do it as like a, a video game, particularly if I'm on my phone. Mm. So if I like uh, get no no unread emails, it's like level up. You know? <laughs> I actually say this to myself in my head, and that's how it helps me get done. And but you know, like I got to get an unsubscribe to as many things as possible because then I get to level up faster with mm-hmm. fewer clicks, right? It's, mm. but yeah, it's an ongoing that mm. that. But it's it's not even time. It's just like that what you were saying that protected time around your mm. space. Mm-hmm. Your creative mm-hmm. space. Where do you have a particular place where you write? Ben? I've been trying um, in the last month and a half um, to do it first thing when I wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I just pull my other pillow over, and I have it right beside the bed, like my book and or my computer, depending on what kind of work I'm doing. If I'm just journaling, it's my journal, and if I've got like I'm working on a particular piece, and I pull up the computer, and I try to do it right away, and I. L- try really hard not to look at the phone so it's like everything can wait and then they actually set up a little thing where I can just put in two letters and it sends a message like if I get a text it says writing now we'll get back to you later hmm. oh it's kind of like the driving notification exactly that's, that's where I got the idea and it and it helps me like you were saying you trying to cordon off that time but then you feel like oh I need to be responsive because these are very human requests and so that's my way of uh, that's my way of cordoning it off hmm. Nice. Oh, I'm envious. My uh, my partner, he uh, he has this Habitica app, actually, and it's sort of in the morning, it's like, you know, he's a, a comic artist, an animator, and so in the morning, it's, it reminds him, okay, drying time before his day job, right? But I feel like in the morning, oh, I'm just like, it's dark. And actually, Kevin, I know you have a very early morning writing practice, too, and mm-hmm. I think that is like the quietest time, and it's before you've sort of entered the day, so... Mm-hmm. Or at night when everybody's gone to bed. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It, it seems like there's um, it's easier to get into that creative space when I'm not having to uh, manage other stimuli, you know, mm-hmm. like even mm. the noise from yep. next door or whatever. And maybe in the darkness on other sides of the day. Yeah, that liminal space, right, where yeah. you're starting to get ready for bed or you've just woken up out of dreams. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you're obviously doing quite well in getting that space because you've got writing for us. You've got new writing. This is all on pages. And there's a couple of pages here. <laughs> Good too there's all sorts of paperwork all over the place, <laughs> listeners. Yes. I've just printed out some emails. <laughs> we're, there are boxes. We're worried if there's a fire, we're not going to be able to escape. Okay. Well, yes. Yeah, speaking of you know, the paperwork here that I've brought... Um, So, yeah, this is interesting because we've been talking about a demand that can be an interruption, but sometimes like a demand or a request can also be uh, like productive as well. And I find being invited to read something like this, you Mm -hmm. know, like I'm actually, oh, okay, I'm thinking about what work is going to, you know, read well, or I'm reading work over and then sort of editing. And so I actually find that that interruption, that request is uh, very useful and, um, you know, spurs a lot of work. So this work came out of one such demand um, at the People Co-op Bookstore. They have this third writing reading series um, co-hosted by Alessandra Capperdoni and Rolf, the owner. And uh, I was invited to read with Danielle LaFrance, uh, another Vancouver local poet. And um, the theme of the reading, they, uh, they invited us to uh, read work in process. And, uh, and and talk about our own process as writers and, you know, what we include in the process, how we, yeah, just are sort of 
pathways to writing. And I thought this was really interesting because writers often talk about, you know, in process, in process writing, but we're often actually, at least the writers that I know, are quite reticent to show first draft work and like to share work once it's already polished and we're actually all kind of like OCD anal types or something that like, you know, like perfection as well. Um, so for this piece, I was actually talking to my partner, an animator, and thinking about artists and how they do sketches and drawing boards for their first um, you know, renderings, first drafts, and how this would relate to in writing. What would what would the end process be for me? Would it be showing a bunch of drafts? Um, and I realized I'm a big talker, and I like talking um, almost more than the, the poem itself, the talking around the poem. So these sketches are kind of like the commentary and the poem, and I realized this was a little cheeky for this show because um, I love it. you guys are the commentary, actually. Well, and also, we always ask questions about process. So, mm-hmm. when we so yeah, I thought on, it was yeah. fitting. But um, but what I thought, because it's, it is, there's a lot of paperwork here, was that I would ask um, each of you to write, to, to read one of the sketches, and I would also read one. Um, so, and then, yeah, would that be all right? Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay. If we so, mispronounce names or words, you'll have to... So Kevin can read sketch number one, and I'll read sketch number two, and then Pam on sketch number three. And I'm just going to do a quick um, ID here that you're listening to Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. And our guest today is... Matea Kulich. And we are about to read... Sketches. Okay. This is an, an experiment. Oh, how do we do this in order? Do you want us to do it in order, or is it all yeah, at once? Kevin's or? number one. Okay. Okay. So, so here goes nothing. Sketch number one. Are you ready? In the writing workshop, writers are cautioned against sharing the poem before it's ready. The mm-hmm. advice goes something like, put the work in a drawer for six months or until you've forgotten all about it. Take it out, then look to see if anything's still there. The idea is that time and distance will help you, the writer, assess the poem more clearly. When you are too close to the poem, spatially, emotionally, or otherwise, you can't accept criticism. You hang on to aspects of the poem that formally or stylistically don't work. You don't see the poem as separate from yourself. In order to facilitate detachment in the workshop, the writer is never referred to by their first name, but is spoken of generally as the writer while the poem is referred to as the work or piece. Talking about the writer and the work in the third person signals to everyone, it's not personal. Nobody here wants to critique the contents of the poet's life, his or her vision, or personality. In other words, this is not about you. The worst thing that can happen in a poetry workshop is when the poet begins to explain. I wrote this for my grandma. I was at the old folks home at her bedside and the nurse had just brought in a portion of no-name brand vanilla pudding. You can just feel the unease as workshop participants begin to shift in their seats. Now someone politely interjects that if the writer wishes he or she share the conditions that led to the writing of the poem after the round of crits. These are the rules of the workshop and they make sense. At this moment, workshop participants are being asked to engage with the poem for what it is, a text, and the emotional investment or attachment of the poet can only interfere with this analysis. Oh, I want to tell you these sketches are not ready. And also, I feel 
really happy right now. It's super stormy outside and wet under my armpits. I'm writing these sketches on Wednesday, two weeks before I'm scheduled to read them aloud at the third Friday reading series. <laughs> I'm really enjoying myself, writing fast and sweating, and I'm only mentioning this because I rarely enjoy writing and often wonder why I don't spend my free time doing something else, since this is hard and I have to sit upright in a chair while going for a walk is not hard and I get to move my legs. Anyways, I know this good feeling won't last, so I'm taking broad stroke notes of around sketches I can use for reference later on. Here are the notes. The overarching theme of sketches will be about what happens when everything that is usually taken out towards the goal of a polished piece is put back in. Oh. Sketches will require that I put aside my desire for perfection and in exchange I may receive some of the delight that comes as a result of the mass abundance. I'll be too close to the writing that's inevitable since sketches will sketch my own life slash work. But at the same time I'm using this quasi-academic voice that protects, insulates, navigates me and the reader through emotional territory. I begin to write out a preliminary reading list for sketches and make a note to ask the audience if they have any further suggestions for reading. I'm sure most of the ideas for sketches are already out there. Okay, sketch number two, The Boy. I wrote this poem, The Boy, about six months ago. A writer and editor I know named Virginia asked me for some work for the online journal she curates, Matter, so I sent it to her. I told her I was still working the poem out. I wanted to objectify the boy, but not too much. I didn't want to trivialize the boy, but I did a little. In the ensuing editing process, Virginia and I wrote back and forth about gender position and narrative power, a conversation that became much more interesting to me than the poem itself. <laughs> At first, I copy and pasted parts of that correspondence here, but got worried about fixing the interpretation of the poem, undoing it by way of analysis. Then, after I deleted what I had pasted, I worried about my part in obfuscating the collaborative working through of the poem, the labor of the editor, and her influence over the outcome. Anyways, here's the poem. The Boy. He puts on a Mingus live album and weighs in on poster art, printed matter, and the Black Mountain School. Men create obsessively because of reproductive lack, he says. You don't want to get pigeonholed in one medium. The tattoo on his sleeve reads, All truth, all lies, homage to a good cinematic event. He moves fast, one thing then the next, and you can't tell if it's the spread out, interdisciplinary approach he wants eyes on, or the last line from his one-act play he's not sure is enough for the ending. You want him to slow down, be one of the dark, skinny, street-style boys who just doesn't care. But the boy wants to know what you think of his writing, and now he reclines and crosses his feet. The boy is crushingly beautiful when he does that. Some months after I sent the poem to Virginia, a friend sent me Rilke's poem, The Boy. I had no idea it, it existed, but can now only assume I was under the influence of it as I wrote my <laughs> poem, The Boy, that Rilke's poem had seeped into me through the collective literary unconscious. Rilke's poem, The Boy, begins, I wish I might become like one of these, who in the night on horses wild astride, with torches flaming out like loosened hair, on to the chase through the great swift wind ride. 
My immediate observation is that Rilke's poem begins with the explicit wish to be one of these boys, while as Virginia observes, the narrator in my poem seems ambivalent about the artistic ambitions and social climbing the boy represents. <laughs> Are the dark, skinny, street-style boys contemporary equivalents to Rilke's athletic, presumably military young men in helmets on steeds? As a boy, Rilke's mother dressed him in girls' clothes, a mourning ritual for the loss of her daughter. Unlike the wild racing boys of Rilke's poem who seize upon streets and squares, Rilke didn't take well to military heroism. His experiences in military academy and his one year of military service almost completely silenced him as a poet. If Sketches comes into being, maybe I'll include a section where I obnoxiously review my minor poems <laughs> against the work of great poets. <laughs> what if the narrator is hiding the latent wish to be one of the boys? What if the boys' club isn't all it's cracked up to be? Sketch number three, the writer's platform. I've been working on a website for over a year now. When you go to mateakulich.com, you arrive at a temporary splash page that says, Coming soon. Coming soon is the perfect slogan for In Process. We <laughs> trust the work is coming. We just don't know when or how or when. It's coming, right? In fact, the website is not coming soon. The web developer slash designer who I hired for the project will no longer return my phone calls or text messages. I don't know what I did, but can only assume his blocking me is a result of my indecisiveness about what exactly to put on the site. Hey, look, I found my astrology chart. I found a bio of my, me at age 10 when my favorite color was yellow. All the web developer designer wanted was to represent me online in some coherent way. Now what represents me is the temporary splash page with two identical stick figures looking at each other self-referentially, puzzling at the words coming soon between them. Mm. Even though I'm miffed at the developer's abandonment, I can't help but noting his genius on my unfinished site. <laughs> he punctuated coming soon so that the sentence ends with period, like that was all the website my personal brand needed, a promise, full stop. <laughs> Excellent. So, thanks so much for helping wow. me read that. Wow. I love the stories around poems, mm -hmm. mm. which is why I always ask questions about the poems. Mm -hmm. um, how did that feel to you, having those read in other people's voices, or was that how you did it before, too? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I think when I read this aloud, I realized there's something about poetry that just, you know, this, this spatially it helps you pause and helps you take time through the poem. And we were actually just talking about this a little bit outside about the essay and how you have to sort of, um, I mean, like, actually, when Kevin was reading, I was like, oh, okay, there's some parts of that that could be cut now, I see. So that, on one hand, is already useful, hearing somebody else read it and just the length of it. Um, but I just noticed from my own breathing and performatively, um, you know, there's funny parts of it, there's beats, but you really need a different kind of stamina to read, um, yeah, longer works like this mm -hmm. and still kind of perform them. So I, I, it was neat in terms of the in-process part for me was I had a lot of fun writing these and they just kind of came out in these really fast. I was sweating, actually, <laughs> and it was, it was really fun to write. And then performing them... Um, I was like, oh, interesting, you know, I, I'm going to have to think about how to perform these pieces and sort of have enough um, breath and stamina and, and mm -hmm. think about the pauses and how to deliver this material. It's um, like acting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really bringing in a kind of another performative aspect. You said that you write essays. You said you were talking about essays. Where would we find your essays? 
On um, your now completed website? Or, uh, <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> coming soon. Coming soon at MatejaCoolidge.com. <laughs> In process. Um, yeah, one essay that sort of like a lyric essay that was published was published by Demeter Press. And uh, it was around themes of um, home and return. And I was, yeah, sort of exploring origins. I had just been back to um, Serbia and Croatia, where I'm from. And, uh, yeah, just thinking about, like, origins, belonging, those kind of things. Um, and they had um, also an anthology titled uh, Borderlands, and that's where that piece was published. So there is an essay there. But, yeah, I'm still thinking about that. I'm actually um, hoping to go back to school um, next September, and I'm looking at a program where you can actually write your, your MA thesis kind of like in whatever form. It can even be a poetry book. And I'm really interested in that sort of like, we were talking about this too, like the border blur, the genre blur, um, the lyrical, lyrical essay or yeah, an essay mm -hmm. that's sort of poetic and thinking about how to um, yeah, combine my you know, different interests. And, and at the time of a conversation, you mentioned a theorist or a writer who dismisses any idea of distinction between po poetry and prose. Could you tell us more oh about boy, that? This guy, his <laughs> name is Henri Michonique. Uh We've been reading him. <laughs> my re we have a reading group, a poetics reading group. Um, the Henry Michonique Reading Group. I should give a shout out to them. We meet on Tuesdays. Um, and we've been reading this guy, it feels like, for three years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and are still just trying to figure out what is he all about, so I'm not going to be able to do. Um, but I think, yeah, he's actually really opened my eyes to think. He, he takes, he has a book called uh, Critique de Rhythm, uh, like a crit critique of rhythm mm -hmm. and this, these ideas, uh, basically criticizing this idea that we can kind of separate content and form and that, um, you know, it's a big, big topic of conversation. But I think, yeah, what I'm interested in is definitely those places where genres overlap um, is like kind of magic place for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love to ask you about translation, but we're out of time. Oh. So that's a really good place to leave it. Thank okay. you very much, Matea, for being our guest today. Thank you so Thank much you. for having me. I had a lot of fun. I'm Pam Bentley. I'm Kevin Spenced. No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what? So what? So what?